and welcome to The Unschooled Space, the podcast that's here to help parents embrace their personal journey into unschooling with all the joy and challenges it's likely to bring. Each episode, I look at different aspects of unschooling and talk with other parents about their experiences. This is episode 31, and I'm your host, Esther Jones. My guest today is Marnie Camisel from Boulder, Colorado. Marnie lives with her husband and three children, who are 13, 10, and 6. And Marnie tells us all about her family's recent transition from an eclectic homeschool style to full-on unschooling, a move inspired by her oldest entering his teens and her youngest having a huge need for autonomy. We talk about how nuanced some of this shift can be and how so much of it is more about our intention than what we actually do. She also talks about how dropping time limits on screen use was a major part of the shift and her observations on how that's playing out with her children. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, Marnie. Love to have you here today. Thank you so much for your time. Hi, Esther. (laughs) Nice to chat with you. Great. Well, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about your journey and how you've arrived at unschooling. Sure. So I am an unschooling parent of three children. They are 13, 10, and six and a half now. And none of them have ever been to school, but we've always been more eclectic, child-led homeschoolers. So not really that far from unschooling, but we're only two months into what I really consider full-on unschooling, which was kind of marked by dropping screen limits for us. Ah. (laughs) was the main thing that I was like, that was what felt like sort of the line between being eclectic, child-centered, family-centered homeschoolers and now being unschoolers and really, you know, following all of their passions and interests. That's very interesting. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that transition from, you say, eclectic homeschooling. Yeah, so I think eclectic homeschooling, people define it in different ways. I think it's generally used to just mean that we don't follow a specific methodology, but in general, I think eclectic homeschoolers are, (laughs) there's a Facebook group called Almost Unschoolers. (laughs) And I think, I think a lot of those kind of do identify as eclectic, just sort of being like really child and family centered homeschooling, but that there is more room for the parent to be bringing in their own philosophy and ideas, more room for me to bring the things that I was really excited about and that they were willing to to do with me. So I might also have called what we did for a long time consensual homeschooling, whereas like unschooling philosophy really is about following the child and you might do some strewing, but that it's really about letting them lead the process. Whereas eclectic homeschooling, I think, has more of the parent coming in. Right. And what what led you to, after all that time, because your oldest is 13, so mm-hmm. what led you to drop the screen, screen times? That makes me laugh because that tends to be the final, the final frontier. <laughs> the final thing. I know. I know. It totally is. It's so funny. Um, yeah, it was kind of a process. And... I would say probably last fall, maybe. So coming up to a year ago now, it really was really just feeling a shift where my older two had been more happy most of the time, willing to sort of go along when I was sort of like, you know, everyone like let's let's gather in the kitchen and let's see if we can work on some things together. And it was very collaborative. So it was like, you know, what would you like to work on today? Or like at sometimes when they were younger, I had like a list and it was very like like they weren't they weren't requirements as much as they were suggestions. Like maybe you'd like to write a letter to grandma today or maybe, you know, work on some math or something like that. And it was very collaborative and they had a lot of say so they could say no. You know, but it was still the invitation and sort of now I see it more as, you know, how because of the power differential between a parent and a child, that even though I really felt it as being collaborative, that I could see how for them it may just the unschooling lens of feeling like like kind of that fine line between it felt good to me to feel like I was doing my job as a homeschooling parent. 
And I think my, for my older two, I think it mostly worked. And when I ask them, you know, how was that for you? Mm -hmm. I think they still feel like it was good. And in fact, my middle child sometimes wants more structure. So I think there is always that trying to figure out for each individual child. But basically about a year ago, my oldest was entering teenagehood. So that's a big transition time. And my youngest was getting, was five and a half or so. And there was just a feeling of them really wanting to have more time for their own things. And I felt it as well. There were several times when I had a feeling of, wow, you know, we really got through all these things, like all my check boxes this morning before we are going to go have lunch and go out with friends. And that would feel like a really accomplished day to me. And when I checked in, you know, my daughter loves art. And so I remember one particular day when she said, I don't have enough time to do art. Mm. And it really hit home in a way that I was like, oh, like that felt really good to me that we got through math and we did spelling and we did these things and she really wants to do art. And Mm. I'm really going to prioritize that. And maybe I'll still offer some of these things once in a while, but I'm going to prioritize the things she loves because there's no guarantees in life about anything, you know? So just trying to follow them. And I feel like my youngest also was a part of it in that as he got closer to, you know, an age where the other ones were doing, not that we ever did a ton of sit down learning, like it was always very um, child led. And so we never did more than, you know, an hour or two at most of sit down things together. But he was pretty clearly not interested, (laughs) except for when he was. So he is very um, self-driven and very, um, he's an autodidact. And so, you know, when he wanted to learn to read, he was like, give me the iPad with reading eggs and I'm going to do this for five hours a day, you know? And it was like, (laughs) he just, whenever, and he was like that with everything. So if it was learning to ride a bike, it was like all about learning to ride a bike. And when it was... You know, he was into math for a while, so it was all about math. He's very focused on whatever it is that he's focused on, but he wasn't very interested in any sort, anything that looked like traditional homeschooling at all or any kind of curriculum. Like eventually, as many kids do, he was sort of like started to to sniff out that anything that was like schoolish is <laughs> something he was not going to participate in. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, just coming back to what you were saying before, it's very nuanced, isn't it? Between um, offering something wholeheartedly with mm-hmm. an invitation, a real genuine invitation that they say no and feeling fine about that and offering it with that slight edge of, hmm, it would be better if they said yes. Right. right. Exactly. You've really got to feel into yourself, haven't you, when you're interacting in that way? Is is this honest and genuine or am I looking for, do I have an agenda? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Am I coming in here with my own agenda, which I think is perhaps superior to Mm -hmm. what theirs might be, right? I don't know if that's. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there was definitely, there's a piece of it along those lines that I'm feeling now that because part of it is that most of the things, not so much spelling, that was one that I did more. And that was one that I was my daughter was interested in spelling. So, and she's very different. She's very artsy and, you know, she's, she's interested in engineering and robotics. So she has that in common with her brothers, but she loves to write and she loves to read. And both of my boys are more typical engineers and gamers. And, you know, they, they're all very um, intellectual, but they're all very interested in, you know, they're, they're being raised to be self-driven learners. And so, I think there maybe was a piece of it along those lines, too, where they were sort of like, you're raising us to be these self-driven learners. We're ready to go. You know, we're ready to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And there's also, I'm sure you've seen the quality of the quality of learning. I don't love that phrase. I've just come out with, but the quality of kind of what Mm -hmm. they do and acquire when it is coming entirely from them and when it is something even suggested by someone else 
where there's an element of them doing it because okay yeah I'll do it right it's entirely different it's a different journey isn't it definitely yeah and so my daughter also like she actually really enjoys having a product and like following projects through to completion and then having you know something that we can hold that she really loves that but my oldest um he is dysgraphic and he is much more interested right now in like a broad exploration of all the things that he wants to do but he's never been very interested in output especially not other people's output you know so Minecraft building that kind of output, digital things are coming along. And he actually has written some really beautiful poetry, but it really mm-hmm. needs to be coming from him and not the outside. Even, you know, so when he was in kindergarten, I offered him a fairy tale like unit study that we would, and we did, we did enjoy it together of that year that we read like a variety of different kinds of fairy tales from all around the world. And then, you know, for each one, we would have sort of this exploration, but he wasn't interested in, I had invited him to do like a a written piece, like for each story to write a story. And I think he did one. And then he was kind of like, well, I'm done now. Like, I'd like to still hear the stories, but I don't really want to write anymore, which was fine. And so we did it that way. So that's kind of an example of how this difference between like eclectic and unschooling is really subtle because a lot of our life did feel really unschooly. Like it was very, you know, this is an offering. And if he was like, no, I'm done listening to fairy tales, I would have been like, okay, you know, we can do something else. And when I offered that same project to my daughter a few years later in her kindergarten year, she just jumped all in. And at the end of each month, she was ready to like make the, the special art piece and to write the story and to put it, we put it all together in a book that's now like this treasure. So I do actually feel really grateful that I've had that experience of different children's um, ways of being so that I can also, I can really see it that like, I can bring things to the table and make offerings. And I can also respect where they are at and what they want to take from it or not take from it. I like that you're mentioning um, output because of course, traditional schooling is all about the output it's about learning and then showing what you've learned and if there's no output nobody can measure anything of course can they so I think that that actually at the beginning of unschooling or 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 the kind of homeschooling you're talking about to become comfortable with no output Mm -hmm. to know right that it still had a huge value even though nothing has been produced (laughs) you can't see it you can't show it to grandma or to the friend who's a bit mm-hmm. doubtful, but you know it's all happening. That's quite, it's quite a leap of faith, yeah. isn't it? I think sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you're working one-on-one with our children, you know that because you're talking to yeah. them, you're hearing their ideas, you know, you're hearing the things that you read in books come out in their right. play later. And it's very organic and it's very, you know, it's just there, you can feel it. So as part of, my children sort of having this feeling of like, I think last year I felt kind of rejected in a way as a homeschooling parent when they were sort of going through this thing of being like, we're really ready to do our own thing. Like we don't need Mm. you. And I sort of had this feeling of, I think it was a combination of a little bit of feeling that. And also my youngest was just getting close to six. So the very age when I was like, they are old enough for me to to do something of my own and have my own projects. So I am now a doctoral student studying cognitive diversity in education. And yeah, I'll be focusing on, I am focusing on self-directed education and unschooling and neurodiversity and different kinds of brains, how different people learn. But it's a very funny thing to be in graduate school and exactly what you're talking about with output that so much of this is talking about output. And I just keep saying like, it doesn't have to be this way. Like it doesn't have to be coercive. It doesn't have to be so focused. And it just feels like, Mm. it feels like jobs for children. It feels like putting them to work at such a young age, which feels so like the antithesis of, you know, offerings and just letting them unfold beautifully that we see when our children are unschooled. 
Yeah. And there's something about that, isn't it? You need to do some output so the adult can feel okay. Right. <laughs> because they've learned it or not. You mm-hmm. know, they it really only is for the adults to be able to tick a box yeah. or give praise or not. Right. Um, to measure and to measure, to have, yeah. you know, metrics and all of those things. And and that's sort of where the educators that's what I hear. And I keep pushing back and saying, well, actually, you can look at Summerhill and you can look at Sudbury schools. And there are schools where they follow these principles of letting children be. Right. And actually, I'm I'm really excited. Are you familiar, Esther, with the Agile Learning Centers? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm really excited about those models because I feel I feel like I mean, I spent some time as a staff member at Summerhill. Right. And Fantastic. I, yeah. And I loved seeing like the teenagers were so eloquent and so they had so much power from all of that time spent in community that way. Mm-hmm. But I think from being an unschooling parent, I really love seeing what happens when you do provide access and opportunities to a wide range of ideas. So that's what I right. like about the Agile Learning Centers, that they bring people in from the community who are excited about a topic and can kind of help light that spark in children. Yeah, I think it's really true as well when you are unschooling that um, it can be isolating for a lot of people. And it's, you know, during the day, there aren't many people around necessarily for your children to connect to or adults, interesting adults to see. So there is an element, isn't there, of attempting to create an interesting um, interesting life around them and interesting community. So I think, yeah, the Agile Learning Centers. Um, tell us a little bit about Summerhill. Yeah, I mean, I was 20 at the time. So I was just out of college, out of undergraduate. And I had actually found A.S. Neal's book when I was 13, I believe, and read Summerhill. Oh. And oh. I told my mother, this is it. I'm ready. Like, I want to unschool. This is what I'm ready to do. And she, you know, my family are all educators. (laughs) My father was a professor. My mother was, yeah, a teacher. And my aunts were all teachers. And she wasn't really ready for me to unschool, you know. And and she she was working full time. She wasn't able to provide that support. You know, now that she sees what I'm doing with my children, she says, I would have loved to have homeschooled you. Like that would have been wonderful. So anyway, you know, I was interested in in all of this alternative education from a very young age. And then I actually, I wasn't able to unschool, but I started high school and then it still wasn't working for me. And so I um, actually ended up finding a college, an early admission college and applying Mm. to college while I was in 10th grade. How old is that, Marnie? 10th grade was 15. Oh, wow. Yeah. So applied to college. I had taken the SATs and was accepted in another state. So I lived in Michigan at the time and the school was in Uh Massachusetts and was accepted with a full scholarship. Amazing. And so, so then I went off to college, you know, just after I turned 16. Wow. Sorry, Marnie. I'm I'm curious. What made you so interested in alternative education at a young age? Because so many of us come across this when we're, you know, the kids are already there and it's because school's not working. Yeah. What was it that that, that interested you so early on? I think the same thing that interests me now, which is really just a really strong sense of freedom for children, you know, Mm -hmm. and just the, (laughs) the intense control over children's lives was never something that worked well from me from my very first day of kindergarten you know that when my mother took me to kindergarten I apparently uh crawled under the teacher's legs and ran out the door into the hallway after her (laughs) Um, excellent yeah Yeah. so I think that ongoing sense of like I I had things I was passionate about from a very young age and things that I was very excited about and interested in and none of them were being met you know, my needs weren't being met in, in the public schools. Yeah. And my mother did look, we had a, we were near Roper, which is a famous gifted school in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And she looked at that, but I really think it's just the model, you know, like, I think I'm very curious about how I would have 
done, how I would have thrived if I had been able to unschool and just really follow my interests because I was a very self-directed learner within the confines of school, you know, when I was able to keep my excitement and passion. I feel like at different points in my school career, you know, I just decided, okay, well, I'll just read my books, <laughs> you know, was sort of how I dealt. That's interesting. Yeah, because I am. Um... From a very young age, I found school slightly sort of absurd. I didn't enjoy it, and I was quite shy as a child, uh, particularly primary school. But um, I remember mm -hmm. very clearly waking up on a Monday morning and feeling sort of annoyed because my weekend would have been really busy. I had 100 things going on, and then I had to go to school. And so for me, time sort of stopped at school. It was definitely when my learning, my adventures, the things I was discovering it all came to a grinding halt, <laughs> you know, and I'd look forward to running home and getting back to whatever I was up to. So, yeah. Uh, so like you, I had that kind of, yeah, this is just not my place. Right. Yeah. And I think like there were times, you know, when I had teachers that I had a really strong connection to, and that would sort of bring me back a little bit and let me, like I had a math teacher in high school that I was very close with who became a mentor and mm -hmm. I really loved math. And so I asked for like a pre-calculus class in 10th grade, which he apparently gave up his prep hour to run like a special mm -hmm. advanced math class for me. So there were things like that, or, you know, there was a chemistry teacher who was especially controlling and so I was sort of like, this really isn't working for me. And I worked it out with the principal to do an independent study with him <laughs> during that time. Wow. So there yeah. were definitely those times when I managed to carve out self-direction within the school framework. But I think by 10th grade, I was just like, I am, I am done. Like, I am so done with this. I am ready. And I was very academic, actually. I often wonder about that because... My children are very driven and they are intellectual, but they aren't driven to produce, as I said, on other people's timelines. They aren't interested in credentials. You know, they aren't being raised within that system. And so it doesn't make any sense to them to play that game yet. They don't at this age have any interest in playing the game. Whereas for me, I was like, let me get to college as quick as I can, you know, and I want to get to calculus and all of these things, which are very like schoolish measures of success right and I think yeah. it takes a lot of work undoing that in ourselves you were mentioning the checklist right and getting things done yep. right that's so ingrained right. in us that um yeah I have 10 things I've got to get them done I've got to be quite efficient um there's a real right. emphasis on the striving doing isn't there yeah and I mean since we were very like eclectic and child-led we had the checklists and we'd do them like once or twice a week some weeks right <laughs> you know it's yeah. very like when it works in our in our life you know and we have some space because most of our homeschooling even from an early age was spending time with friends going on field trips you know spending a day in nature every week and all sorts of explorations but i still had that feeling of like but sometime i need to squeeze in a little bit of formal study you know mm -hmm. just to make sure that i feel good about that and it's feeling really good now to let go of that and yeah. to really instead be leaning into like, wow, you know, in Minecraft, my six-year-old is really like, he's asking how to spell, you know, a certain word or, you know, that happens all the times. And yeah. instead I'm noticing it in those ways and just being like, yeah, they're, they're fine. They mm -hmm. are, their passions are going to help them educate themselves in just exactly the ways that they need. And I don't even know, I couldn't possibly know what those things are going to be. That's it. That's the nail on the head. We can't possibly know what direction they need to take or want to take at any moment. And we mm -hmm. can't, you know, at the end of the day, you can't really direct another person because we're not that person. So we can't know what their intrinsic motivation is in life or their reason for being. Um, right. I had some really interesting moments with my children when they were younger where I realized that to them, um, I probably mentioned this one before on the podcast, but one in particular, my son, my middle son was probably eight and he was playing Minecraft. Um, I just think about Minecraft, playing Minecraft. He'd been on the computer for a while. It's quite early days for me. 
and I'm getting a little bit edgy because he's still on the computer. I go to the kitchen to do something. I come back. He's still playing Minecraft. So I come up to him to see what he's doing and to sort of make a little suggestion that perhaps now he'd like to put the computer away. He's not doing, he's not playing Minecraft anymore. Now he's doing a history <laughs> quiz. And I thought, ah, oh, of course. He's simply, to him, there's no difference. It's just the thing he wants to do now. One is Minecraft and one is a history quiz. They're absolutely equal. One isn't serious learning and the other playing. And then the other one, which is very funny, is my older son when he was probably about 13, coming into the kitchen, kind of anxious. Um, He was a really challenging place in a game. So he was just going to take five minutes out from his game and do some of his German practice to relax so that then he could go back to his gaming and see if he could get to the next level. Like what's yeah. what's the play and what's the learning? Yeah. Well, it's all just a thing they're driven to do. Right. I've just found that really interesting. You know, here there we are making little judgments about what's valuable and what isn't. We're looking for the learning, yeah, but they're not definitely. doing that. And I had, I mean, I think that was part of the the unfolding for me over. So, I mean, it helped that I started my doctorate work and I decided I was going to study this. And even though I've kind of been in interested in these things for so long, really reading a lot from the democratic schools again, like reading all of those things again, and then reading the unschooling yeah. literature. And like, I needed to do it in an academic way, like a very thinky way, because that's right. my process. Yeah. But I also had many lived experiences where I was like, well, I'm just going to see how this goes if I give them space. And over and over and over again, I would have this idea of like, oh, maybe I should go see if, you know, my daughter wants to come down and work on this thing. And I would go up and she'd be listening to an audio book and doing art. I'd think, well, why would I interrupt that? <laughs> you know, like she's picked the perfect yeah, thing for her. Right. Or I would go down to my teenager with the idea that like, oh, maybe he could come up and work on some algebra with me. And I'd say, oh, hey, what are you doing? You know, and it was at the time he was working through all of the crash courses on YouTube. So, you know, and actually the years before that, he was, he's an engineer, so an engineer type brain. And so he spent years and years building with Legos, Lego robotics, and would make these amazing things. And I always valued that. Then his interests had turned as he came to be a teenager into things on the computer, which then you don't know what they're doing. But I would ask, you know, what are you doing? And I would get these answers like, oh, I'm learning about the great Gatsby. <laughs> you know? Or I'm on video 38 of Crash Course Sociology. And, you know, you're like, right. <laughs> okay, carry on. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's also surprising, isn't it? And, and so incredibly rich uh, the conversations that you can have with these people who are just learning so many different things but Marnie could we come back to the kind of the letting go I'm really interested now in letting go of screen and obviously you've you've years and years of experience of being curious and observing so there's clearly like a it's what a small sort of step for you but how, how do you feel into that step like how does it feel yeah um Honestly, like I think my youngest was really the catalyst for us just letting go of screen limits. And so I had this one day where, well, first I should say that for many, many, many years, you know, we used screens in our learning regularly. And so we would watch lots mm-hmm. of YouTube videos and, you know, di- a variety of different things. So we were always tech positive. But, you know, we had this idea that like Minecraft was set, that was set time. So that was four to five o'clock was like free screen time. And, you know, usually my oldest would be playing Minecraft and my daughter would sometimes do that. And sometimes she would watch videos, you know, um, shows. And it felt really good to me for a really long time because then they filled all of the rest of their time with these, with building things and drawing things and, you know, doing all of the things that, you know, were not on screens. And that felt very wholesome to me since I originally came from sort of a Waldorf inspired philosophy when they were really little and lots of time outdoors and all of that. And my youngest and really, they I mean, they all love Minecraft. So in the end, Minecraft was sort of the door as for many people where I did value it like I did like I would take 
them to Minecraft. There was like a Minecraft Mondays event in our local homeschool community when they would go and play with other homeschoolers. And that felt good because it was in community. And, you know, I did try to lean in and like play Minecraft sometimes and all of those things. But I think the real catalyst was that my youngest, when he got close to six, Minecraft really became his primary passion. And as I said before, you know, he, whatever he's into, he's like all in. So when it was bike riding, it was like, he would wake up and be like, I'm going out to learn that, to do that thing, you know, that I'm passionate about or whatever it was. And Legos was his for a long time. But when it became Minecraft, it was really, really, really hard for him to only get an hour a day. And it was very dysregulating to stop at five. And I had already noticed like over the years that it didn't feel entirely good either that all of my kids, that if it was 3.55, you know, and they were like, it's almost four o'clock, no matter what else they were doing. It was like, drop it, you know, or like if we weren't home, it was like, we need to go home like right now because this starts at four o'clock, you know, that there was this, and it felt, it didn't feel right in that way. And so I had this moment after we had a struggle with trying to get him off of the screen because dinner was usually right after the screen time and he didn't want to come to dinner. And I had this moment where I thought, well, what did I spend my childhood doing? Reading. That's what I spent my childhood doing. And I always had a book. And, you know, there were probably many days when I read for 10 hours a day and, you know, that it was just, it was the thing I loved and I got so much out of it. And I had this moment of thinking, what if I'm wrong? What if Minecraft is for him what books were for me? Right. Mm -hmm. And how would I have felt if my mother had said, you can have your books for one hour a day? Right. Right. (laughs) It would have been horrible. And so that was sort of the door for me to be curious, more curious than I had been about screens and the things that they were doing on screens and seeing them and, you know, reading all of the unschooling literature and really trying to integrate that and integrate this this possibility that actually maybe screens are regulating for some children. Yeah. Like maybe that's actually sometimes how they're dealing with things that are feeling hard for them too. Absolutely. And so then we sort of just decided to give it a try. Of course, giving it a try meant that, you know, my youngest was like, and yes, <laughs> like <laughs> I will be taking this. You know? yeah. And this will be happening. And um I had I knew from the unschooling literature to expect that it could be a long path, that it right. would be, you know, an intense time of screens and I knew to prepare for that right and so I will say that for the first we're about two months in now for the first month it was it was still a little scary because my older two they it was much easier for them to Mm -hmm. sort of decide because they have so many other interests and hobbies like they did spend a lot of time on Minecraft or Mm -hmm. watching shows but it felt more fluid with all the things that they love to do yeah. My youngest, because that is his personality, he got up at 7 a.m. and got out Minecraft, you know? Yeah. And yeah. there were days when he was on Minecraft from 7 a.m. until like 9 p.m. with breaks, you know, in there, he would do other things. But there was a lot more Minecraft than I would have been comfortable with. And I still, I had to remind myself, like, this is part of the process. And instead of letting myself get pulled into that dysregulation of like, I'm a bad parent. My child is on a screen all day long. That instead what I did was to join him and sit down and Mm -hmm. say, can you teach me how to play? (laughs) Right, amazing, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yes, I certainly, with Minecraft, um, all three were massively into Minecraft and I did see how they, all three really learned to read with it. It was one of, it was a key element because you have to read in Minecraft. Yeah. And you can't keep asking your mother because she's not always right there. Yeah. And what I saw too was that my children became closer. That was the other thing that I saw right away, like in the first week, because my teenager had been spending all of his time in his room. And 
when they were allowed to play together. And so they, they hadn't been spending time playing the way that they used to, you know, like doing the things. Yeah. And when they had Minecraft as an option, they were playing together more in this way. That, oh, you know, it brought I love that. Yes, that's so true here too. Yeah. Exactly that. Yeah. Because it's quite, you know, it can, it spans quite a generation of children, doesn't it? It spans quite a lot of years. Right, six and 13. Yeah. And then they were, you know, rekindling a relationship that had started mm. to feel a little more distant and so that was really beautiful and that felt really good and that helped give me i mean i don't i think it would have been really hard to go back once we did drop the screen limits but it but instead of it feeling scarier i kept seeing things that made me feel like this is the right path like this is the right choice for us and for them and also just that real feeling of being like I am fully valuing the things you value and I am joining you as opposed to before when I would feel would feel like I want to value the things you value like I want to value Minecraft, but my action of saying it's limited to an hour a day couldn't give them the full message that like oh I see how amazing this is and how many like of course you want to do this, this is so interesting, I get it yeah that's that's such a huge one i think isn't it again it's quite it feels subtle but i think it's really big in that um if i choose to do something and my mother values what i value it's um really i think very helpful to my inner compass as i go through life yeah to help me trust okay this is what i want to do now this feels coherent to me this is what i want to do I'm just going to do that rather than having that little doubty voice, you know, which most of us grew up with a sort of a doubting voice because we went to school, you know, there's an element of, mm -hmm. am I doing what I should be doing or is what I want to do the right thing? There's quite a lot of questioning, right. which I think that children yes. who grow up essentially being trusted to find their own boundaries. Right. And sometimes they might go over one and they'll see that themselves or, you know, and to adjust themselves. There's something very powerful in that level of, um, trusting themselves or autonomy I think we meant we were talking before weren't we about autonomy to have that autonomy which some children crave that and um, we all know if we've got a child who craves autonomy and they, those often are the children who lead us to unschooling they, they're sort of before their time these children yeah I think all humans do but I think that some people including me crave it more you know from what I said about my childhood and and then I think there are some people who they really can't thrive without a right. huge amount of autonomy. And so I think that was my youngest. And I will say, because, you know, my friends have been asking about this because we have a really lovely homeschool community. And, you know, so I'm like, yep, we've dropped all screen limits. And they're like, oh, tell us, tell, that's, you know, amazing. how is that going? Like, thinking about that, but I'm not sure. And I know I've heard from other unschoolers that it took like a year before their children really got to a point where it was they could take or leave screens. And I'm seeing it much sooner, which is ironic because now I've come to a point where I'm not seeing it in that way where my goal is for them not to be on screens. You know, my goal is really just like, I would like to get outside a certain amount in the day. <laughs> but if you choose not to, I have ways that I can usually make that happen for myself. And I'm okay with that. Um, I noticed that even last month when it was still feeling like really new by dinner time, you know, he would have like, okay, I, I put in a good day of work and now I'm ready to, you know, hear books from mom and I'm good, ready right. to do these other things. And now it's even shifting more that like, that may be what happens. And instead there are, there's room for other things to be coming in. So, you know, Lego play is really big. Like this morning, I don't think even think he got on Minecraft this morning It was just Lego play. And, you know, there was like an engineering thing that they had made yesterday that they were playing with and even came outside and did some bike riding, which my youngest, had gone through a period when he was really feeling like his autonomy autonomy was restricted where he was not wanting to come outside and do things right. and i'm seeing a lot more like willingness to engage in the things that i suggest now that i'm fully accepting of his choices and the things he wants to do oh that's so interesting isn't it 
Yeah, yeah, I think there's another thing about screens, which is just occurring to me as, you, as you're speaking. Um, one is that there, there's so many different purposes for screens that it's quite hard to regulate anymore because there are a lot of things you simply can't do without a screen. I think that when people talk about screen time, I think a question we should always be asking ourselves is, is the child okay? There are many reasons for using screens. As we know, we can be doing something terribly productive. We can be communicating with people or we can be whiling away the hours because we're feeling down. I mean, you know, is my child on a screen? Perhaps this is more applicable to an older child in their room. Is my child okay? Are they on a screen? Because that's the activity, the thing they've chosen right now. Or are they bored without connections? Is there something I could right. offer that will meet their need? Or are they meeting their needs? Like, how are we? Rather than what are we doing? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So I, th I think there's something about that yeah. as well. So a child who's on Minecraft, who's fully engaged and it's their passion, you know, how you can totally see that that's just a choice they're making. And, and, and again, so I think rather than it being screen, no screen, a lot of this is, is why are people on screen? What, what's everyone doing? Is, is everyone okay? Yeah, I've really seen the power of screens to be connecting is what we've been seeing. And the same yeah. with my teenager. I mean, we, for many, many years, would put the younger two to bed and then we would play a board game every night, my husband and myself and my oldest. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I treasure that and I still love playing board games. And now that the younger ones are going to bed around when I want to be heading to bed right. <laughs> and my teenager is staying up way late, right. you know, we're not getting in all of the board games, but my husband actually has been playing video games with him in the evening as their time to connect and unwind. And that has been really right. huge since we started that. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think like leaning into their interests has just been a beautiful unfolding for our family, which, you know, having again, come from like this Waldorf nature child, you know, ideal of like, we're going to spend all our time outside and, you know, hike in mm -hmm. the beautiful mountains of Boulder and all of these things. Um, and in this season of life right now, they're not as into that. And sometimes that still feels hard because my husband and I would love to go for a hike and they're sort of not really into that. Um, right. So we have to try to do that thing of, is there a way that we can get our needs met and still respect what they want right now? Yeah, I think that can be hard um, when you have a family with very different um, needs and desires and I think also we can't help it, can we, but to have in our mind what we thought a family would look like. And we all thought it would look like all five of us going <laughs> for a hike on a Sunday right. and it's not yeah. happening. So there's a little bit of mourning of a loss of that sometimes, I think, or more than that of accepting. I think that if you're doing, if you're, you know, doing something beyond the mainstream, you you really have to accept what does your family look like and what, what you do and that it's okay. Yeah, and accepting that that's part of their process and that when we're raising children to, that's part of it is for them to be really able to express their autonomy and to check in with themselves and to be able to say, I feel like hiking or I don't feel like hiking. Or, you know, we have done a lot of figuring out how to get little pockets of one-on-one -on -one time with our kids because the sibling dynamics are sometimes hard, Yeah, you know, and so yeah. especially like my teenager, I think often is like, I don't know, that sounds really unpredictable <laughs> to go out with like the younger ones, yeah. you know, like maybe I might just like to do my own thing where I know that I will have a lovely afternoon. Um, and so if we can offer to him, well, we're just going to go with just you and me, yeah. then he's like, oh, okay, that feels good. And you know, I think that is true for my my middle as well. Mm. But, you know, I think that I think all children benefit from having one on one time with parents. Yeah. And I think that's a really good idea, because it's also true that if you're if you know, when when there's no school, then people tend to spend a lot of time together. Right. So creating a bit more spaciousness in the day feels like a really good thing. Yeah. You had asked about Summerhill, Esther, and I had, yes, let's go back to that. that yeah. So Summerhill was really, it was a great experience. It was so interesting and it was so, I'm sure it was very pivotal for me to be able to see children growing up without coercion and without classes that were required and finding their way and all of those things. So there was a lot of beauty there. 
um, it is a boarding school. So that right. is very different than sort of now that I'm so anchored in homeschooling and unschooling and sort of the the family unit being the core, you know, mm. the thought of boarding school starting for five-year-olds to me is very, it wouldn't be a choice I would make for our family. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No. Um, no. But I think about some of the things that I did see there and like the community and the mentors and like the the wide relationships. And that is something that I have been thinking about a lot for my children in the past six months to a year. And we have a really great homeschooling community, but as happens in homeschooling communities, it shifts over time. And so, especially when they get to the teenage years, there's a big shift with a lot of teenagers choosing to go to school or making different choices. And, and also, and since our family had this big shift and I was going, you know, working on my doctorate and doing some parent coaching and, you know, feeling like I had these things that I wanted to work on. And I thought, well, maybe they would like to go to a Sudbury school. You know, maybe they would, we have oh. um, Alpine Valley is a local Sudbury school here. And we looked into that mm -hmm. and I sort of talked to them about it. And I had this, this little idea, like maybe they'll just want, the, all three of them will want to go and be a part of this community. And then I'll just have some, some quiet time. <laughs> and, you know, I talked to them about it and quickly realized that like, they don't want to go anywhere for five days a week. They, you know, it's not something that right now that they're wanting that, you know, um, and I was like, okay, they're not wanting five days a week. So, but I, I've been taking them to visit other programs and things nearby that are like one day a week. Like there's a, a nature program for homeschoolers that right. people love. And so I took them to visit that and they were both kind of like, mm. no, thanks. And it was good. I got to this point of really being like, my job is to provide opportunities and to give you a chance to know what the options are. And then your job is to decide what's right for you. And if what's right, right. for you is to be home and, you know, be playing with your siblings. And, you know, you, we do have certain anchors still that they're for now seeing friends, you know, at least once or twice a week. It's like, all right, if this is still working for you, then that's beautiful, you know, and I, yeah, seeing it really as like my job is the offerings. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I see it like that too. Just being like maybe a little one step ahead, looking at what is there out there. Uh, yeah. Someone wants it, you know, and if their choice is to not take it, um, that's okay. And and again, that, right. that exercising choice and there's something so huge about not being coerced into something, about exercising choice and that being heard when they do choose also they are a hundred percent in right yeah and that it's you know the little seeds and so for my teenager right now you know i send him things all the time usually by text because that's a good <laughs> medium for teenagers like what mm. do you think about this and most of the time often it's no no thanks you know and once right. in a while like yeah i'll try that and that's always really exciting yeah um, my 10 year old is still in the phase where you know she will try anything she is excited about all the things and has way more things than she would love to be doing than we could possibly fit in the week. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, my 10-year-old yeah. is a real homebody, you see. Uh, yeah, you just never know. Yeah, and my six-year-old. We do get out some great yeah. nature walks and uh, we walk dogs and she right. rides. Yeah, they're all so different. And my six-year-old right now is also very, you know, exercising the choice to stay home a lot of the time. And recently we were discussing like the different classes and things that the kids were doing and you know he is really into legos and it has been hard for him to not have more purchasing power lately it's been it has been a struggle um especially because one of his really good friends has a much higher allowance than he does and you know but i had this moment because he had some really big feelings about oh. money but i had this moment of being like oh well actually you're not taking any classes like you are choosing to stay home and so actually maybe you should have the option to put some of that you know money that i would happily pay for a class maybe you should be able to put that towards legos and he loved that idea was like absolutely <laughs> since he's been inviting me to play legos every day i've again like been joining in this way that it feels a little bit different now that i see like oh like it's not just 
sometimes before I had these feelings of like, oh, he'll just always want something else, you know, no matter what we buy, they'll always want to buy something else. And now that I'm playing with him, and actually because he taught himself to read, he taught himself to do math, all those things when he was five. And so now he's a really advanced for a six-year-old, but what he wants to do is spend his time playing Legos. And so the, what I've been thinking in my head is like, well, instead of thinking of it as like, I should have him come and sit down and do something with me. Instead, I just think about it as I want to make sure I give time to each of my children mm. each day to work on the things that they want to work on. And what he wants is for me yeah. to play Legos with him. Yeah. Again, it's quite new. this is quite nuanced, isn't it, what you're saying there? About the way you're seeing his activity, yeah. almost as am I seeing it from the outside, or am I trying to see this from his point of view? And it's such it's actually quite a powerful shift, although it's quite small isn't it like the amount of value yeah. that then yeah. you, you see this for the value it has for him right and it has shifted my thinking on when he's saying like oh i want this lego set and i want this lego set and this one because i'm joining with him i have i have a personal connection to be like oh he wants that lego set so that we can play together in this specific way around this story that he's been building so i understand why he wants you know, a fire helicopter, because it makes sense in terms of the play and the story. And the, I value it in a way that I didn't when I saw it as he's just wanting to buy something else. Right. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Marnie, we're running out of time, but I wonder if you had any words of advice for anybody who perhaps like you is, who's homeschooling in a loose manner, mm -hmm. but looking to perhaps, you know, loosen right. up a little bit more and sort of become more allowing more autonomy. What advice perhaps would you give? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it was really important to read all of the stories of people who have come before mm -hmm. and to really like have a felt sense that this is something that can work. And then once I was able right. to have that felt sense, then I was able to get to a much more joyful place of living an unschooling life with my children, which... I mean, it is scary to take that leap, but it's also really beautiful. And there are some really great podcasts. Like I really like Blake Bowles' Off Trail Learning podcast. And you've also, Esther, had a bunch of, you know, parents with children with grown unschoolers or teenage unschoolers. Yeah. You can hear those yeah. stories. And, you know, I heard enough of them that I was able to accept that they may or may not go to college but that they are bright, you know, beautiful people who are going to figure out the path that's right for them and to really have that trust. In right. That. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. There's so much value in reading those stories and seeing, seeing those stories for the trust that you can acquire. I think it's very hard to take a leap of, yeah. to, to take that leap without really believing. So I think it's important to find, yeah, to find those anchors definitely yeah. oh, well thank you so much for your time today Marnie it's been absolutely lovely talking to you oh it's been lovely talking to you Esther thanks so much yeah I feel like we've got lots of lots in common in our families there well take care and much love to you and your family on your on your continuing journey <laughs> yes to you as well bye